0: Let's pray. Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you have just come into this room with us and, and you've brought us here safe and sound and, and you've brought us into the presence of your, of your, of your worship and into your singing and, and, and your abiding in this praise of your people. We thank you for your presence in our midst. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word never changes. We thank you for your love. It never fails. We thank you for teaching us who you are and um, creating us to be more like you every day. That we can be more like God Almighty because we're in Christ Jesus. Lord, that process is happening even tonight as we open up your word uh, today. So we ask for you to anoint the teaching and anoint the hearing and anoint the doing of the word so that we might be more like you when we leave than when we came in. Bless this night together in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Wonderful. Well, we're doing a, a series on, uh, well, a three-part series. It's called Jesus, Savior, and Lord. And so there's three distinct aspects of Jesus that we want to bring home. And as I mentioned to you last week, the, the word that the Lord dropped into my heart is that these, these principles are elementary. In a sense, you probably get the same teaching in Christianity 101, the course we offer to new believers here at the church. Um, they're really foundational teachings. But what I want you guys to get a hold of and what God wants us to get a hold of is the magnitude of these truths. How big, how great they are. Because over time as we walk, and I know most of you and most of you have been like me doing this for quite a while, you kind of lose sight of the greatness of what he's done for us. And it becomes routine, it becomes tradition. And once the traditions of men take over, there's no power in it. It becomes dead religion. And then churches die, and, 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 but God never dies. He never fails. So we want to avoid that trap of just becoming callous to the greatness of God and callous to the greatness of His salvation and callous to the fact that He is indeed Lord. Amen. All right. So, so last week we got together and we, we talked about how great God is. Tonight we're going to talk about His salvation, how He is our Savior. And these two aspects are really paramount, particularly because he's called us to go out and preach the gospel to others. And if we don't know what we've been saved from or what we've been saved to do, then it's kind of hard for us to get excited about going out and telling somebody when we don't really know. Or when it's become so small to us that it doesn't really move us anymore. So it's vital that we get in and really understand who God is and how he saved us. And then next week we'll have a prayer here, which is vitally important, uh, obviously, because nothing happens until someone prays. And uh, so be here for that, and then two weeks following we'll finish up with Jesus is Lord. So by way of review, if you weren't here last week, we talked first about uh, how Jesus is God. And and the first scripture we opened with, the first one in the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we talked about this God, this Elohim, this God Almighty. Talked to Denny on Sunday. He said the one thing I took away from last Wednesday was that God is great. Well, praise God, He is great. I remember as a kid being taught to pray before my, my meals, and my, my parents weren't particularly religious, but they were very traditional. So we prayed before our meals, and uh, and the thing we said was God is great, God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. So all through, we always reiterate it now. Good and food don't rhyme. I never got that. But God is great. God is is great. And last week we talked about His greatness. How God Almighty, He's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's ever-present. Present everywhere at all at the same time. Unbelievable creator of all things. We talked about light, not just the visible light, but the whole electromagnetic spectrum that he created. We talked about the lights in the firmament. We talked about the sun, the moon, the stars, and how many stars there are and how glorious it is that that God could create all these things and name them and know where they are and when they were coming alive and when they were dying and when they were becoming black holes, etc. etc. We talked about the plants and the animals and the number of species and how phenomenal that was. We talked about the microorganisms, the animals that he created that we can't even see. I mean, he's so big and he's so good, and we need to meditate on that all the time. Just think about how awesome God is and how mighty God is. And when you bring in your worship on on Sunday mornings, you want to bring it in because you've been thinking about that. You want to be thinking, not because he, he gave you a raise last week. That's important, and that's good, and he blesses us. But that's a byproduct of being in relationship with him. So when you come in, you want to realize how great he is and really bring that, bring that into your worship experience. We talked about those material things that he made and how awesome it is. And then we, then we diverted into the fact that he created the spirit realm. And, and, and this Bible just has bits and pieces, images. It has man's words describing a spiritual creation that just is beyond words. It's so hard to grasp. But use your imagination and, and open your heart to see how glorious and awesome this spirit realm must be and these. These angels with wings and eyes and and voices that thunder and shake the doorposts of of a spiritual place. It's just, just amazing how God is. And we haven't even gotten a chance to witness and experience that part yet. But we will have an eternity to do that. When we meditate and we think about how great God is, one of our natural responses should be to worship him. That's a natural outpouring when we are connected with God and see how big He is to worship Him. We should want to worship Him. We we should be here before the music starts. We should be thinking and meditating on how we want to bring our sacrifice of praise to God every time we come together and whenever you get up and get in the shower and whenever you're driving to work and whenever it comes to mind, worship Almighty God. It'll take the stress of the day away. I guarantee it. And everyone has stress in the day, right? So start to worship God and these things of this world would just start to disappear they'll start to fade away a little bit and you'll get in the presence of God and all of a sudden your sunshine comes out even on a rainy day like today and so our natural response is to worship God and it's also to obey God he's God he's our creator he's our maker he's the one who called us into being so we should naturally want to obey his commandments and not not do anything else that's our, our, our natural, our intended design, if you will. And then we transition and we talked about God Almighty. We talked last week about not only is this God Almighty, not only God the Father, but this is also Jesus. This is our God. We showed you through the scriptures how he's the Word who, who was, was God and was with God. The Word was with God and was God, and through all things, uh, God created uh, everything that was made. We talked about how he's wonderful. He's counselor. He's almighty God. We're talking about Jesus and how he is indeed the Prince of Peace. So, so we, we pulled through the scriptures and showed you how God, and how Jesus is God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He even said, he is the great I am. And when he said that, the soldiers fell. Remember, we talked about that last week. If we think about Jesus as anything less than God, we run the risk of idolatry, being in idolatry. There's a scripture for that in Romans chapter 1. I don't have time to pull that out tonight. I intended to, but go look at it if you want. But what it talks about there is it talks about how the the glory of God can easily be seen in his creation. It talks about man being without excuse. Even if he's never come to a message like this, he's without excuse. You look around you and go, wow. Wow. How could that come from the Big Bang? Well, God said it and bang, there it was. Right? So, so wow, God is good. So he's big and great. So I should pursue him. Man is without excuse. And when you say, oh, man is this idol that I made or this image I made or this person or, or, or this creature, four footed or two footed. And then when you start to say, well, wait a minute, Jesus was a two footed creature when he walked on the earth, wasn't he? If we only see him as the son of man and not as the son of God, we see him, we're committing idolatry. We have to know him as both son of God and son of man. We'll talk more about that tonight. So then we, re- we got into this just a little bit last week, how God made man in his image. So this great and glorious and almighty God, he created all the different living beings, put them in their places, angels and beasts and so forth and so on. But there is one being that he created that he made in the image and likeness of himself. And I dwell on that because we lose sight of that in our natural being, in our natural daily walk. We, all we can see is carnality. All we can see is our faults. All we can see is what we grew up in. But God made us in his image. He made you and you and you in his in- Think about that for a minute. We were intended to look like God Almighty. We were intended to act like, to be like God god almighty that was his intention from the beginning he made us in the image and likeness of god he made us three parts he's three parts we're three parts he made us a spirit being he's a spirit being we're a spirit being we have a soul and we and we live in a body but but our intended design was to walk in the spirit to be led by his spirit and together we would accomplish his will and our soul and our body would cooperate with those things That's how he made us, in his image, as a spirit being. He made, look at verse uh, chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Look at this, male and female, he created them. There's, There's no lesser citizen between the genders. He made male and he made female. And he made both in his image and likeness together. So there's nobody excluded from this, both male and female. I get a little feedback up here, Mike. I don't know what that is, but hopefully you can fix that. Um, so he made both in his image, male and female. And uh, he made us like his own children. So what does that mean to be made in his image and in his likeness? He made us as his creation to be, to, to look like little hymns, little gods, if you will. I don't know how to describe it, but, but he, of all the creation in, the, in, the, in, the, in his creative space. He made us to be like his children. He made us. We, we weren't born of God. We're not little gods, but he made us to look like him so he could be a father. That's why all through the scriptures, you see Jesus say, pray to the father. I spoke to the father. I only did what the father. He made us to be father and we his kids his children, his offspring, a place where he can pour out his love, where he can nurture and grow us and teach us his ways and show us what he wants to do. He wants to be our father and he made us a chip off the old block. Like him. Imagine, he made us righteous. How many of you feel like you're righteous? He made you that way. That was his original intent. He made us righteous. He made us just. He made us free. He made us to be able to love like God loves. God is love, and his love is just abounding. It never fails with the song sang today. His love is endless, and he gave his creature, mankind, the capacity to receive and to give his kind of love. That's astounding. That's just amazing. God is holy. He made you holy in the original Design. He made you holy. The Bible says man has the mind of Christ. What do you think he had the mind of Christ in the garden? You try to name all those animals. Right? I mean he, he could do it because he was in one with God. He has the mind of Christ. He's in union with the Holy Spirit. Man is a spirit being. His spirit is in union with the Holy Spirit. Together they could accomplish God's will on the earth. Now, now let me be clear. Man is not God. Man, man, man doesn't have omniscience, he's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, he, he's not, can't, we can't be everywhere at once, so, so we're not God, we are a creation, always keep that in perspective, you were created by him, so as you grow up in your relationship with him and you start to feel like you're all that in a bag of chips, you better watch out. Because pride goes before a fall. So you want to make sure that you're careful where you are in your walk with God and recognize He's your creator. And if He wants to take His toys and go home anytime He wants, He can do it. And who are you to question? So you're His creation, but, but He made you like Him. And, and man cannot call things into being that didn't exist outside of their connection with Him. Connected with him, we can. But outside of that, he did not give us that. So we are his creation. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 says, says, Then God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So so clearly God's intention when he said let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth is that God wanted to be the father of not just Adam and Eve but of many children. And and, and he doesn't have grand cuz I've heard that expression a lot I love it. Even though Adam and Eve without children and children and children from their far off, each one then would have a unique personal relationship with the father so they didn't have to go up through grandpa 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 to get to god they would have that personal relationship with him so he would be father no matter where anyone would be in the generations that's cool that's really cool so that's how he made us so he made us to have uh, dominion over the earth and he gave adam and eve the distinction of being the head of the human race so what he said to them and how he treated them is, is, is he said that to all of us. Why? Because we were in the seed of Adam when he spoke it. So all of the descendants of Adam and Eve, down through the ages to us, we were spoken over in the Garden of Eden. We were there in the Garden. It's hard, it's hard to fathom that. I mean, that was so far back. But, but it's true because if you, obviously the seed comes to the man. On and on. Back up to Adam it goes. So we were there when God said, I'm going to have a relationship with you in the garden. I'm going to be your father. You're going to be my kids. I'm going to give you responsibility to, to, to reign over the earth and all the living things on it. I'm going to give you authority over the earth, and I'm going to connect you with my Holy Spirit always so that you can carry out my will on the earth. I'm going to make you in my image and in my likeness. When he spoke that about Adam and Eve, he spoke that about us. Adam and Eve, he, they are the, the covenant head, the, the head of all mankind. So, so the, the, the key point here I want you to get, and the, why I'm harping on this is, is this is how we started. Now obviously tonight we're going to talk about the fall, and then everything after that is what we think of. But if you recognize how we started, it won't be a big deal when you realize what happens when he saves you. I mean, it is a big deal, don't get me wrong. But what it means is he puts us back where he intended us to be. He didn't invent something new. He's fixing things. He's fixing you and he's fixing me. So that's why I'm harping on this. It's so important that Adam and Eve were made in the image and likeness of God and they had an intimate, close, pure and holy relationship with God. Wow. I mean, they had complete authority over the earth, and the earth was under their control, and it cooperated with them. Everything flowed beautifully. There wasn't weeds in the garden. They had to tend it, but it didn't fight them. It watered itself. The animals didn't argue with each other and eat each other up. They were cooperative with each other. There was peace, and most importantly, there was peace between man and God. They were vitally connected, one spirit together doing the will of God on the earth to reproduce after their own kind according to the law of Genesis. But only as vitally connected with God, their source of life. Think how great that is, that man is vitally connected to this God Almighty that we spent all of last, last week elaborating on and how you've meditated on it, and how you recognize how big and how great he is. And when you think about us coming from the dust of the earth, how could it be that we could be that connected with an almighty God. But it's in your word, it's in my word, and it's true. Your spirit man knows it. That's something to rejoice and celebrate. That's good news. Mm. So, the bad news is it didn't stay that way. (laughs) Right? So we're going to talk about the original sin. And I don't want to belabor it. You guys have heard this a lot. You understand that in the garden, life was perfect. And man had a job, and then he got a wife, and he was in relationship with, with his God, and they were together, and, and the garden was beautiful, and, and things were wonderful. And then Satan enters. And he had no power, and he had no authority. And again, we, we don't want to believe it, this part. You guys have heard this. But you know how Satan came, and he tempted Eve. He, he talked to her about how you know, did God really say, and, and then she thought about that and reasoned, well, said, so well, and then uh, he said, but look at this, this fruit here can make you wise, can make you like God, of course, I just said they were already like God, so what, you know, what did they think they were going to get, but they were already like God, if you eat this, you'd be like God, knowing good and evil, like as if God was holding something back, no, he was not, not anything good anyway, um, so anyway, he he was tempted, and then Adam sat there listening to this whole thing, and he chose to disobey God. And in the disobedience, in their disobedience, together they fell. There's a table that I put together in my notes. I don't know if you can pull that up, um, but I want you to see the magnitude of the fall. So on the on the let's see, your left is the from box, and on your right is the to box. So this describes from So we fell from an intimate connection with God to being separated from God. We fell from being obedient in nature to being disobedient. We fell from being righteous to being sinful. We fell from life forevermore to death forevermore. We went from being a holy creation to being unholy. We went from being good to being evil. Simple as that. From light to darkness. We look at this, we went from freely serving the Father to being slaves serving Satan, the devil. And we went from all of the earth cooperating with us to all of the earth resisting us or being uncooperative. Uh, That's a huge fall. I mean, we say, oh, we sinned, oh, we fell, And, and we treat it lightly. And because we're in this time of grace, yeah, it's like we tripped up, right? But but, but the magnitude of what happened, I, I just want you to think about that and meditate on that because, because it's from this that we have to get out from under. It's from the fall that we need to be rescued. It, it's, it's, we've gotten so used to sin that, that, it, that it doesn't even move us. It's... it's, it's our hearts hardened, it singed, like Pastor John's example always of the man drinking the hot coffee and doesn't burn his throat, right? We've gotten calloused to it. But look at this. The first time they disobeyed and we had a catastrophic effect, catastrophic, and not only affected Adam and Eve, but because we were in them, it affected us. Look at Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, And Adam lived 130 years, And he begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now this is after the fall. So what kind of likeness and image was Seth born into? Was it the likeness and image of God? No, No. it was the likeness and image of Adam and Eve who now did not have the likeness and image of God but rather their new father, the devil. Ouch. Wow. Wow. All of mankind is born into this position. We'll look at Ephesians 2 in the first five verses. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. The spirit who now works in who? The sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Look at right in there. I didn't see this before, but it says that we are fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. It doesn't say we were led by our spirit. We've lost sight of the fact that we were made a spirit man when we fell. Our spirit man was separated from the spirit of life, God Almighty, and now suddenly we're led by the nature of our flesh and of our mind, and it has ascendancy in our life. It's not how God intended it to be, that's not how He made us. But that's the result of the fall. That's the result of being sons of disobedience. Hmm. And so now we're children of wrath because of sin. Of course, this is before we're saved. My goodness. This is your neighbor. This is your family member that isn't saved yet. This is your coworker. This is who you were. How can you look down your nose at someone who behaves badly? You were them. I was them. Sin is sin. Sin sin. That's what they do. How are you to judge that? You can't help it. It's your nature to sin before you're in Christ. There should be no judgment in that. God's the only one who can judge that. But our job is to tell them there's a way out. Wow. How did this happen? It seems, it seems a bit harsh. Doesn't it seem like, oh, God, you know, Adam, well, they, you know, they were tempted, they were tricked, you know, well, how can you blame them? Well, they didn't take the responsibility, did they? You know, Adam was like, well, it was the wife you gave me, and she was like, well, the devil tempted me, and, and you know. So how did this happen? Was it their fault? Yes, it was certainly their fault. They chose to disobey. But, but why did God pour all this separation out on him? Well, he said he would do it. He said he would. And God is just, and his word does not return void. It accomplishes that for which he sent it. Let's look at his word, Genesis 2 and 15 through 17. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, the man saying... Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. He said you would die. If you eat of this, you will die. Well, what does that mean? Well, we know it's a Hebrew idiom that really is in dying, you shall die. And the first death is the separation from God Almighty. The second death being the physical death. And, and, and so, so this death comes because of their disobedience. And so because disobedience comes, sin enters. And then when sin enters, uh, death, because the wages of sin is, is death. So, so, so there's disobedience. Let, let me just back up. Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. Let the word speak it. For, by, by, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. See that? Disobedience led to being a sinner. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. We'll talk about that later. Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. Thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So the order that I want you to grasp is this. that first was disobedience. With the disobedience came sin. And with sin comes death. And that's what God said. In dying, you will surely die. If you eat of this fruit, you will have death. Well, how does death come? It comes from sin. How did sin come? It came from disobedience. God was very clear about this. They knew there would be consequences to their decision. They chose to obey the temptation of the devil and uh, to disobey God, and so God's word had to be fulfilled. Wow. It's, It's sobering how important obedience is. It's sobering. And when we disobey, we invite sin, and when sin comes and has its full course, then we see death. But, but God's response, this was, this, was the, this was the effect of their decisions. It wasn't like God got all hopping mad at him. And, You're dead now. You're done. You're toast. I'm going to curse you and bake you. That's not him. He's, he's, he's love. And these are his kids. This is his favorite creation. And he watches this happen and his heart breaks. It breaks because suddenly his kids are separated from him. My oldest and, the, and, and his wife and our one grandchild live in Austin, Texas. They're separated from us. They're too far away. We only get to see them every so often. And this is in the natural. You know, how much more God in this everlasting relationship with man is now suddenly separated? Now, this didn't get him by surprise. He already knew this and he already put a plan in place because God's love never fails. So let's look at his response. He comes into the garden, and in the garden, after the fall, Adam and Eve, you know the story, they hid themselves because they were afraid of God. And the first thing God says is, where are you? God knew where they were, but the implication here is that now God is not connected to Adam and Eve, spirit to spirit. There's a separation. Where are you? They're apart. They're separated. And so... so, uh, you hear the story after that, and he speaks forth the result of their sin and how Adam's going to have to work on the earth and Eve's response and the serpent, etc. But watch this. In Genesis 3.21, you see God's compassion here. He says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin, and he clothed them. This is really interesting, because now they've fallen, they're separated from God, eternally separated, in dying they're going to die, and God comes along and recognizes that they're ashamed, and they're naked, and, 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 and so he, he makes them tunics of skin. Well, this implies a couple things. One, that there was a shedding of innocent blood, and that blood can't take away their sins, but it can cover them over. And in covering them over, that allows him to work with the man and the woman. Uh, And and, and it expressly says that they were clothed with the skin or the flesh of some kind. That God made tunics out of this flesh. And and, and this contrasts specifically with Genesis 2.15, before the fall, where in Genesis 2.15, the word says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And, And so so Genesis 2.15 says, says they were naked and not ashamed and then after the fall because of their shame God put skins on them he put some kind of flesh on them that becomes important down the road we'll talk about that but, but it, it always, I always wondered I've been taught that we've been separated from God we can't be in his presence because we're now sinful and he's holy how can we be in the presence of God You know, here we see God standing there patching them up and putting a skin on him saying they're there I don't know what he said. That's no, just me. <laughs> okay. But, but, but so, because before their disobedience, they, 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 uh, their, their spirit mans were, were, were in union, the Holy Spirit and the spirit of man. They were connected. They were one with each other. And yet his physical presence was there too, walking with them in the cool of the day, which was his practice. And so he had not only a spirit connection, but also a physical presence. But after the disobedience, the spirit of God and the spirit of man were separated. The source of life was no longer connected to the heart of man. And not only was the source of life not connected, but they were also off limits to the tree of life. They could not go there and eat and live forever. They were separated from life. But but God's physical presence was still possible. He, He could be near His choice, creation man. He wasn't abandoning us, He wasn't way out there, He was still there physically and putting in place a way for us to be saved. You think about reading through the Old Testament examples, we see examples of, of obviously here in Adam and Eve, and he was in their presence, and he was in the presence of Enoch who was taken up. And we see Noah and how, how he came and talked to Noah, and he built the ark and saved, saved eight people from, from, from the flood. And, and we see how he came into the presence of, of Moses and told Moses, look, it's not one-on-one. I want to be in the presence of my people So build me a tabernacle. Build me a place where I can come and abide. I want to be there. I'm going to be physically present with my people. But make it in just exactly how I tell you. Because I'm going to be in the holy of holy places. And there's going to be a big old veil between my Shekinah glory and the priesthood. And there will be a veil between the priesthood and the regular folk. There are certain ways in which God could be present with his people and certain ordinances that he set forth just so he could be here, just so he could be with us, just so he could watch over us and guide us and make sure that his plan of salvation could come to pass. His ultimate goal was, was to restore man to an intimate, loving relationship with him. But his physical presence could not do that. It did not alter man's sinful nature in his physical presence. It didn't take away man's sin. He wasn't going to override man's will and just, you know, start all over again. That's not him. And he's not going to take man's authority on the earth. You guys are looking at me like a calf at a new gate. God loved Pastor Sam. (laughs) God is pure holiness. And, And intimate contact with God is not possible if we are not pure as well his light will destroy any darkness it comes into contact with it's interesting that you know as an engineer I think about it this, this way but but darkness is not an energy darkness is not a power it's just the absence of light Cold is not an energy. We go outside in the winter, it's cold, brr, you know, it's coming on me like a, like a, like a tsunami. No, cold is just the absence of heat. And in our darkened state, it's, we are the absence of God. It's not a, it's not a, darkness is not a force. Now, there are forces of wickedness that obviously don't have the presence of God, so don't get me wrong. But my point is this, that it's really just the presence of, uh, the lack of the presence of light. God's love will destroy any hated encounters. His mercy destroys any guilt and shame that it faces. His righteousness destroys any unrighteousness or sin in his path. God is so pure. He's a consuming fire of purity and holiness, and any impurities will burn up in his presence. He's God Almighty. He's Elohim. He's a supreme God. He's a creator of all things. So you're looking at me oh, okay, wait a minute, which is it? Can we be in his presence or not? Am I confusing you? Let me give you an example. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna tell myself a little bit, but, but when I was in high school, uh, I remember probably around junior year, maybe it was a science, class. I know it was a science class, I don't remember what science it was. And I remember sitting in the back row, and uh, in the science class there were tables, uh, like if you were gonna do a lab, you know, where you put your microscopes and stuff up. But usually it was lecture, and people had their books and notebooks up. And these were these big black granite tables. You guys know what I'm talking about, those big ones, right? And what was neat about those tables is underneath the, the lip was a couple of AC outlets, right? So that you could plug in your instruments and do your lab experience, et cetera. So I was sitting in the back, and the first thing that I did, which wasn't right, was I was chewing gum. Back then, they didn't allow to chew gum in class. Now they do, evidently. My, my daughter's a school teacher. I asked her before we left. I said, did they allow chewing gum now? Oh, yeah. Uh, but back then, we couldn't chew gum. So I'm sitting there chomping on a piece of gum and uh, kind of bored and a little restless, and, uh, and uh, not really paying attention. So I took the, the gum wrapper, you know, not the outside one, but the inside one, like of a piece of Wrigley's. You know, it's like a little piece of aluminum foil with some papery stuff on it. And I was just kind of doodling with it, and I folded it up nice and flat and in different shapes. And then, and then it wound up being kind of like in the shape of a, of a staple. And, and, and I thought, well, that's interesting. The width of those legs are the same size as that outlet. So, so, you know, again, teachers going on and on. And so I thought, well, then what happens if I put this in the house? So, so I, just, I just rested it on the edge, and, and nothing happened. I was like, looking good, looking good. So I took my pencil, and I took the, the eraser end of it, and I just kind of pushed it in a little bit. All was good. No worries. Gave a little more tap. Things are good. All right. I think this is going to work. Boom. So suddenly there's this waft of smoke around my head (laughs) and this snappy noise that called the attention of the teacher. And and as I looked, this little piece of tinfoil wrapper was split in half and burnt on the edges. The teacher looked up at me and said, Are you trying to start a fire? And I said, No, sir. And he went on with his (laughs) lesson. I didn't get in trouble. Praise God. But I remember it to this day. and, and Maybe it's for this message. I don't know. But, but here's, my, here's my point. The, the, the metal near the contacts of the outlet, it was no problem. Physically, in the presence of the electrical source, it was fine. But as soon as the metal from the foil made contact with the contacts in the outlet, electricity flowed. Now, why did it pop and snap and suddenly break? Because that foil was impure. It wasn't pure enough to carry the power of 120 amps and 20, uh, 120 volts, <laughs> be better, 120 volts and 20 amps, whatever the circuit was. It, it's not gonna, it, it couldn't handle that kind of raw power. So it is with God. He's in our midst. He's in our presence. He's out here in the world. Think about the story of Job. Right? Job said, you know, he was having a council with the angels and the devil was there. And he said, have you considered my servant? How could he even talk to the devil? The devil is banished to the earth. Well, in his physical presence, he can be there. There's no flow. There's no connection. But once that intimate connection is made, the pure, the raw, pure power of God's love and his, and his wisdom and his, and his creative being and his will flows through us and then he burn us up because we're impure outside of Christ does that make sense? Yeah, so, so his physical presence is there but, but we need to restore that relationship that intimate relationship that we had with man we need to go back to the, 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 the expression where, where God made man in his image and he breathed on him the breath of life we need to receive that again Man's nature is now a sin nature after the fall. He can't be pure and holy. God sent the law to try to show man, look, you you guys don't have it going on. If you want to be holy, try all this. And no man could do it, obviously. And it wasn't intended that we would. It was intended to show us that we needed a savior, that we needed somebody who could reconnect us with God because there was no way we could be holy on our own. So Jesus... Savior, and Lord. Now Jesus, almighty God, this God that created all things and spoke them into being, uh, he now is going to be our Savior. It's interesting the name Jesus comes from the name Yeshua, uh, which means Yahweh save. He's our Savior. God is salvation. God is our salvation. He's not our punisher. The punishment became because of our actions. God is our Savior. Now, he will punish, but he's going to give us opportunity first to, to miss that, right? So God, Jesus, leaves the throne of his life to save ours. His glory as God Almighty is put aside. Well, look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's a weird phrase, isn't it? Why would you even think about robbery in that phrase? Well, it's an idiom that really says, look, you know, one of the Ten Commandments is, is you shall not steal. God, Jesus did not think it a breaking of any of the Ten Commandments to be equal to God. And one of the Ten Commandments says you'll have no God besides me. So, so he's saying, I, I, I am God. I, I can consider myself as God. And that's not a sin. But he made himself verse 7, of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Uh, he, he, at the end of his, of, his, of his ministry, he prays to the Father in John 17, 4 and 5. Jesus says, I have glorified you, talking to his Father, on the earth. I have finished a work which you, Father, have given me to do, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. Look at this, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So he put aside his glory to come and live on the earth as a man. Now, I mean, that's astounding in and of itself. Amazing love, right? I mean, how, how could it be that a king would die for me? I didn't sing it this time. <laughs> glory to God. So, so he, he puts aside his glory. He comes in, in, in the form of a man. He comes as the second Adam. So what distinguishes Jesus, the second Adam, from the first? obedience. The thing that caused the first Adam to fall was disobedience, which brought him sin, which led to death. Jesus lived his life fully obedient. The word says that he he learned obedience from the things he suffered. I always wondered what that meant, because I think about his suffering is on the cross, and that was part of it. But Jesus took on flesh, and he had to learn how to deal with that. He had to learn how to say no. Can you imagine him as a boy, you know, growing up in Nazareth and hanging out with his pals, that he had the same kind of peer pressure you and I had. Hey, Jesus, we're going over to that Palestine village over there. We're going to paint some stars of David. What do you think? You in? You know, let's go. Let's go tip some cows over there, Farmer Jones's. You know, he, boys do what boys do, and they shouldn't. That's wrong. But they're they're sinners, and I'm sure he, they wanted him to come along. He was cool, right? But he had to say no. He had to say no to the desire to be part of a crew, part of a posse, in the A crowd, part of a clique. He had to say no to those things. Temptations were everywhere. He obeyed his mom and his dad, Mary Joseph. Unless, of course, his heavenly father told him to do something different. Like when he was in the temple, you know, asking questions of the leadership there when he was only 12 and they'd already left to go home. You know, I'm sure they told him, get in the wagon, and he didn't. Um, but, but that's only because God, the Father, the spiritual Father, said stay. Otherwise, he would have obeyed uh, Mary and Joseph. So he always obeyed his parents. He didn't enter into the sinful games. When he was a young adult, he didn't disobey. He never disobeyed God. You know, he, he, because he had the love of God in him, I'm sure he was very attractive to both male and female. And I'm sure there were more than once someone hit on him. being real he was tempted in all ways as we are always and he probably looked at that and said not today thanks or ever (laughs) by the way he was he was he was he, he said no to all of the temptations and lusts that a young adult would have he grew in wisdom and yet he didn't grow in pride he, he, didn't, he didn't sin anywhere. He was obedient throughout. Look at his ministry. He, he was tempted by the devil himself after 40 days of eating nothing, and the Bible says he was hungry. Well, duh, he hasn't eaten for 40 days. You know, So, so he, was te- he was hungry, and yet he, he had enough capacity to put his flesh, which was hungry, aside and only do what his Father in heaven told him to do. He was obedient in all things. He was he was obedient. He was tempted by the religious people to blaspheme. He was tempted by his followers to give up. He was tested in the garden to go another way. And yet he was always obedient. What did that do? Remember, Jesus was born of Mary. So he was the son of man. He had flesh and was tempted in all ways as we are. But he was, his father was the Holy Spirit. Not any man. right? So he had the Spirit of God in him as he grew up. And so he turned to his spirit, the spirit of man, connected with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, and that's what told him what to do. And he stayed vitally connected to God because he never disobeyed. One step of disobedience, he would have been separated from God like the first Adam was, and we would have been in a world of hurt. But he did not do that. Yeah. So his obedience led to his righteousness. He wasn't, he wasn't born righteous. He learned righteousness righteousness by being obedient. Not to say he was born unrighteous, he was righteous obviously, but, but his righteousness came as a result of his obedience, and because he was righteous, now he maintained the vitality of life forevermore. John eight twenty eight. I think we're okay on time. And Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, nothing. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. Why? Because he never disobeyed him. He says, For I always do the things that please him. Obedience. Obedience. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. uh, Seeing then that we have a... Yes, the great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Romans 5, 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. I think you're getting my point. He was obedient even unto death. Well, why? Because the wages of sin is death, and so those wages had to be paid for. I want to take you down this path a little bit here. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 2, because it's going to reference something we talked about last week. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, and this is the psalm we read last week. Psalm 8, verse thirty-three through 6. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Those of you who remember last week when we talked about that psalm, we talked about how God made man a little lower than Elohim. The Hebrew word there for angels in the psalms is Elohim, God Almighty. When God made man originally, he made God, man, and angels under him. That's why when the devil came into the garden, man had authority over the angel and he could kick him out. So, so man, originally, before the fall, was made above the angels, uh, but below God, of course. But let's read on. So in verse 8, you have put all things under his feet, for in that he put all things, all in subjection under him, he left nothing that was not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. This is after the fall. This is when Jesus is on the earth, or just after. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So does that seem a little contradictory? The Greek words here are angel, not Elohim. So here, the scripture is saying clearly that man was made lower than angels. But that's also true, as it is true that man was made a little lower than God. So in the original creation, God's kids were like God and man made God's kids to have dominion over the angels. But when man sinned, he chose to obey an angel, a fallen angel, the devil. And by making that choice, who you choose to obey, Romans 6.16, that one slave is who you become slave to. So when man chose to obey the devil, he chose to serve under the angels. So everybody born of Adam after the fall was under the angels, a little lower than the angelic beings, particularly on the earth. And Jesus had to be born in a human form under the angels so that he could die. Because when man made God to begin with, he was to live forever with God in, 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 in paradise. But death is a result of sin. And sin wasn't in the garden originally, so there was no death. Right? So, but after disobedience, the sin came, and with sin came death, so now death. So death comes to all men. So because Jesus is not only the Son of God, He's the Son of Man, and because He's the Son of the fallen man, Mary, He now can taste death for us, yet without being unrighteous wow god had that all figured out god is good it's amazing so he so he suffered death he he died for us and it's okay we can finish this glory to god so after his death well first of all he's separated from his father he couldn't die in connection with his father. He had to be separated from him because his father is the source of life, right? So, so in Matthew chapter 27, in verse 45 to 47, we see in his passion, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was a darkness over the land, the lack of light. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. I'm sure that's how it was pronounced. <laughs> And, and the, But that, what he said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, where are you, God? Like God said to Adam in the garden, where are you? He's separated. Why was he separated? Because the sin of man was poured out on him. And the purity of God couldn't be in the presence of the sinful man. So he had to be separated so that he could take on the sins of the world and suffer death and pay the price for the, sins. the wages of sins is death Jesus is Savior Matthew 27 verses 50 to 54 and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit and behold the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom the earth and the rocks split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion saw those with him who were, and, and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Wow. Well, we know that's not the end of the story, right? We know that he conquers death and he's raised from the dead. He's raised to life, Romans 6, 9 and 10. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. He died for your sin and for mine. He had no sin in him. In the life that he lives, he lives to God. Hebrews 2.14, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Wow. He took care of the sin problem, and he took care of the death problem. So now we have to get back into intimacy with God. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 and 20. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the God, uh, house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There is no longer a barrier between the Holy of Holies and man. There's no longer a veil that keeps us from the presence and the access of Almighty God in the presence of this holy God, this pure God, we can now get intimate with him like that little piece of aluminum foil and not get fried. And what was the veil? His flesh. It was his flesh. Because he crucified his flesh, not just on the cross, but daily in his walk, he put his flesh under. It was that flesh that kept him from being it's that flesh that keeps us from being close with God, and by him crucifying his flesh, he opened the way back into the Father, into an intimate, unfailing, pure relationship with God when we are in Him. He opened the way back to that intimacy with God. Now now there's no longer need for tunics of skin to be sown on us so that we can now be in the physical presence of God. The skin can go away and we can be naked and unashamed before him in Christ. That's awesome. So now, let's just finish the circle. We're almost done. The disciples are, are born again. Well, they, they confess Jesus as Lord already, right? And now that Jesus is raised from the dead and he's standing in front of them, they believe it. <laughs> they had the benefit of seeing it. And, of course, Romans ten eight through 13, and you should know these scriptures because this is the essence of your, of your message of salvation. Romans 10, 8 through 13. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes in the righteousness and with the mouth confession is made in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is rich over, is, is the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on. It. Any kind of sinner. Anyone who's in any kind of sin can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Why? Because he crucified his flesh. He made the way open that you can get back into a vital living relationship with God Almighty and walk in that purity of holiness in Christ. Then we have the great exchange. I'm almost done. Bear with me because this just keeps getting better and better. Jesus is Savior. We have the great exchange. Um, John, John, John the Baptist, right? In the beginning of, 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 John, of Jesus' ministry. John chapter 1, verse 29 says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can you see how he took away that sin? In his obedience, he agreed to suffer death so that he could take on your sin and take it away. The sin problem is no longer your problem. Well, brother, I just sinned this morning. Confess it to God, and it's gone. He'll forget about it. As far as the east is from the west, he takes the sin away from us. The sin is not your problem if you're born again. Now our problem is obedience. That's next week's message. But, so, so, so he takes away the sin. Now look at the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. Remember how God made Adam and Eve in the garden? They made them righteous. They were the righteousness of God. After the fall, they were no longer righteous but unrighteous. And now through the, through the uh, sacrifice of Christ, we are now again the righteousness of Christ in God. And then we see not only are we saved, not only are we made righteous, but now we are reconnected with the breath of life. John 20:22. 20, and Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Remember when God made Adam in the garden, he took the dirt and made him into a man, and then he, he breathed on him the breath of life. And the man became a living being. He became life when God breathed into his body. And he became death when that was separated from him. And Jesus now says, now that you're born again, now that you are in me, now you can receive that intimate relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now we are made alive. Now we have that... Holy Spirit on us working with our spirit to, for us to carry out his will on the earth. And the last thing I'm going to leave, with this, leave you with is this in Revelation 22 in the first five verses. Mm. This gets gooder and gooder. <clears throat> and he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was what? The tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there'll be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads, and and, there will be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light, nor sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Can you see how Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega? Can you see how he's the beginning and the end? Can you see how he started things out, created man, and came back to save man, and now once we're saved, we're back in the presence of the tree of life to live forever in the presence of God Almighty? That ought to make somebody shout Amen. Amen. Jesus is our Savior. Now, as we wrap this up, I want to ask this one question of you. I know most of you, but is there anybody here who didn't realize that Jesus was their Savior?